Hey, everyone. Welcome to Comedy Film Nerds. We got a little theme dep for you. Summer theme dep. Summer theme dep. <laughs> uh, translation, one of us is on vacation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we wanted to do this episode because we had this guest on a couple months ago mm. and realized that he has a... A uh, treasure trove of knowledge and insight. Of a very specific genre <laughs> yes. of movies, one that I don't think we've ever... No. We've never covered... Um, in depth. Really in depth. Um, 80s and, fantasy movies? Yes. This is going to be fantastic. I know this was your idea. This is your brainchild, Chris. <laughs> yes, and I can't wait to dig in. Um, so he's been on the, the show once before. Uh, we're happy to have him back. Uh, Stephen Kramer Grip. Glickman, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hey, sorry. Steven, <laughs> Steven Kramer Glickman. <laughs> Glitchman. Glif, Glifman. <laughs> Steven Craver Glishman. Stan, Stan Glockmeyer. Glockmeyer. <laughs> or as Matt Bronger would say, uh, Jewy Jew Bagelface. <laughs> so it's Steven Kramer Glickman. I'm happy to be here. This is It's super cool. Thanks for having me back, sure. guys. It's what awesome. You, what have you been up to? What's going on? Things have been good. Uh, things have been good. We've been big doing, time rush reunion. Um, oh yeah, we had a little reunion on stage at the nighttime show at, at the Improv. Uh, oh cool! For the first time ever, we uh, we we've done a lot of shows there, and I've done a lot of shows there over like the last fifteen years of doing stand up sure. here in town. But I've never sold the place out to capacity. Like we've had like full houses many sure. many times, but. Not to capacity, where like an ex girlfriend of mine showed up like 20 minutes into the show with her new boyfriend and asked the manager where they could sit. And the manager said, At the bar. Nice. And I was like, That's fucking amazing. And they had tickets. And it was like, You can't get in. It's too full. And people were like squished together. Uh, But we got really lucky because Heidi and Frank uh, made a deal with us that they would. Uh, help us promote the show every month and do like a week of uh, giveaways like prior to having me on every month to talk about the show. So having morning radio involved in this was like a huge, 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 huge plus. And then Logan, who was on big time rush with me, who I don't get to see very often, but he was like my, one of my best friends on the show. Cause we, uh, uh, sat on Big Time Rush. We sat like across, we, like our dressing rooms were across the hallway from each other for mm-hmm. like five years. So, you know, we had, we had like breakfast together every day mm-hmm. and we were like, you know, best buddies. So he came to the show and I just couldn't help myself. And I was like, get him on up here. And I brought him up to the stage and then I made a bet with him that we tried to play, um, uh, like tennis on stage mm-hmm. uh, with like crappy tennis rackets from CVS <laughs> that I bought that were like for children. Mm-hmm. And I said like, if we can play 10, if we can like hit the ball back and forth like three times, uh, I'm going to give 260 Krispy Kreme donuts to the audience. And the audience was like, whatever. And then I pulled out uh, 20 a dozen donuts out of, oh from God. behind the desk of, of our show. And we had it all like pre-set up, but he didn't know I was going to do it with him. And I got him up on stage and we played tennis and then everyone ate donuts. And it was well, awesome. Great. Here's the thing that I definitely noticed and I wanted to talk to you about. So when you were on our last episode of, of Comedy Film Nerds, um, and you know, we do, we always do, we promoted it and tweet. All of a sudden, we got all these likes and retweets from... Late teen, early twenties, Latino women. 
Sure. <laughs> like all of their profiles were all in Spanish. Yeah, yeah it's all Brazil. It's all Brazil. What is that from? It's uh, like our show aired, uh, you know, it was airing in like 110 countries or right. something like that. Mm-hmm. 108 countries, something crazy. Uh, but in Brazil, the show did like insanely well. And they're still airing new episodes in Brazil, oh. as well as in Germany and in like um, Thailand uh, and like over in that part of the world, Indonesia, like that area. It's just like in there in like first season over there. And it's like so now when I tweet stuff. I'm getting like tons of retweets, but it's all like Brazil. It's like, it's crazy. Interesting. Have, have you ever thought of like going down there and doing a live show? God, I want to so bad. I, I, I just, I, I actually, you yeah. don't know this, but I, I was married to a Brazilian woman for a while and spent some time down there, speak a little bit of Portuguese, like really very tourist noun verb, like me hungry, where food kind of yeah, Portuguese the style of biblioteca. Kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. That. Yes, Chris. <laughs> where is the library? Yeah, it's oh, a yeah. lot of like, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, oh, stuff like that. So, dude, you should set up a show. I'd go down there and open for you. That'd be a blast. I would totally. I would love to do something like that. I, I've never really. There's a little stand up comedy scene. That's starting in Sao Paulo and Rio. Really? Oh, yeah. It started about five, six years ago, and it's Brazilian comics. Um, but so there's venues and stuff down there. Really? I'm telling well, you. We should talk about it because I would love to go down there Cut and do to something like that. the tour. <laughs> I love, I, I have had so much fun. I've done Seriously. some international tours. Well, obviously, like Australia, that's a no brainer. That's but like, amazing. Oh, Australia so cool. is great. But I did, I've done a bunch in uh, Hong Kong. I did a show in Japan, China. Whoa. So there's a lot of expats. But you have a very interesting thing because you would get Brazil. You're on TV down there. You would get yeah. Brazilians. But we would also get, there, you know, there's a fair amount of expats in the big cities down there. And you bring a lot of donuts. Yeah, sure. I bring yeah. a lot of donuts with me. <laughs> Dude, I would Hand love to help put that together and go down I'm, there. I'm going to tell you something right now. The only places I've performed in, the only places for, for stand-up, here in Los Angeles and New York City, and I've been to Canada once for a show, but like of a little <laughs> tiny show. Time. But that's it. Like I'm a, I mean, I'm a paid regular at the store, at the comedy store, the Laugh Factory, and the Hollywood Improv. And then in New York, I'm a regular at like Caroline's and um, uh, Comic Strip Live. Right. So your first road gig would be Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> It, w- it really would. Like, I've gone and done, like, weird shows up north in, like, random places. Like, I went to, right. you know, some random crappy show. Oh, I did one show that was super cool at uh, the uh, – uh, it was the same – it was Robin Williams' favorite theater up by oh, – The Throckmorton. The Throckmorton, which is probably one of the greatest things That's I've ever gotten to do. such an awesome theater. Yeah, it was amazing. I would love to, like, go up there and film a special. I think that'd oh, be – Oh, for sure. That'd be, like, the place to do it. Well, the entire town uh, around the Throckmorton – Comes out. Mil- comes out. All of Mill Valley comes out. The entire out. Yeah. Mill Valley just, sh- like, shuttles in. And it's they're a great like, place for the film festival, too. The Mill oh, Valley my film God. Festival. I went to uh, – I was in that neighborhood the day of, and I was walking around. I went into like it was. Um, uh, I walked into like a restaurant, and I said, uh, "Oh, uh, you guys, you guys closing up?" I, I, you know, I just wanted to get some food or something, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, uh, we all we all got to get home and uh, get ready before the big show." And I was like, "Before what big show?" And they're like, "At the the stand up comedy show. We all 
Got to got to close up early tonight. It's gonna be a big one tonight. Very exciting. <laughs> I don't know who's on the show, but I can't wait. Yeah. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like it was just like <laughs> the energy about that town is all about performance. They all want to go see shows. Right. They all want to go to film festivals. They support the arts. God, they're right. so cool. cool. I love that place. I should retire there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this year, I should just retire. <laughs> just move there. All right. Well, let's get into it, Let ladies. Us. Where do you want to start? Because you used to work for uh, the Henson Company. Well, no, I still do. I you have still a have to work for well. The Here's here's our my deal with Henson is that um, I co-wrote a show with two other guys and we brought it uh, around and we ended up uh, getting it a development deal with the Jim Henson company and then we've been at Henson for now a little over two and a half years mm-hmm. and uh, we spent a lot of time over there and met with everybody and we've worked directly under Brian Henson for for like two years on a project and. Uh, now the project's represented at William Morris Agency, and it's super, super cool. And the the other guys I wrote it with are Mike Black and John Schnapp, who you, oh, yeah, who of you guys know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we spent a we've spent an enormous amount of time over there. Mm-hmm. And I'm such a huge, massive nerd about him and about everything that they've ever done that uh, you know, getting to spend any time at that studio is like it's like getting a chance to be at the children's television workshop. You know, right. it's like it's like being a being getting to be like a little do bit you, of a part of. Do you remember when uh, when Jim Hansen passed away? I remember that being like the first celebrity death that actually affected me. Yeah, like as uh, you know, as as a kid, I was like, oh my god, I, you know, I, I it was like. You know, I, I never met him, but I grew up watching all of his work. Yeah. I remember there was a cartoon in one of the papers after he died, and it was like, um, it was just Kermit in front of the TV with a tear in his eye. It was just, yeah. and I was just like, and it, that sort of summed up, I had the same feeling. I was like, oh, oh yeah, I grew up with these, like Sesame mm-hmm. Street and the Muppet Show TV show, which right. I just thought was the greatest thing I'd ever mm-hmm. seen. Absolutely. Um, it was, I became very obsessed with wanting to be on television because it was, of the Muppet show. Right. right. Because you watch and you feel like you're behind the scenes, you're a part of it and you're getting to see what that world is like. Right. And that, like that backstage of the Muppet show, that set mm-hmm. is going to be stuck in my brain as a cool place that I would love to visit well, right. for the rest the, of my yep. life. Like, it's so cool that you made it, that you talk about that. Cause then I remember when the Muppet movie came out and I saw that in the theater and was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen because it was, it was the first, Turner like I was riding a bike. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it was the first time that a cool and amazing TV show was now a movie and it was it was that thing you were talking about, Stephen. It was like, oh, this is what Hollywood must be like. Yeah, you know. And even Orson Welles going, "You're going to get the big time Hollywood contract right. or whatever." Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Standard yeah, yeah. rich and famous contract. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, the, and because it started in the TV show. Because I grew up in Sesame Street, and and and. Sesame Street was was cool. It was neat. It was it was it was innovative. It, it didn't talk down to you. Right. And yeah. I, and and. I can remember that other, there was this other show, New Zoo Review, and I couldn't fucking stand New Zoo Oh, with Review. the hippo? I remember that one. Because it was so <laughs> condescending. It was just yeah. like, now kids, we're getting yeah. And I was just like, I'm six. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. You know? And I love Sesame Street. So then the Muppet Show was this very inside joke right. version of it. And then yeah. the movie, 
And a bunch of celebrity cameos. Oh, Absolutely. At the like, time, we didn't know, even know who half of them were. <laughs> you know you know what's so funny, is too, is that like the writing on those movies were genius. Like, And the writing on that show was insane. Like, It's just amazing comedy, just brilliant. The jokes brilliant, brilliant. The jokes were incredible. I mean, the two old hecklers, all of the different characters, right. the inside incredible. jokes when they'd be like, oh, hey, Steve Martin's backstage. Yep. And he'd, they, they, the way they would blow him off mm-hmm. or there'd be some slam Something you know crazy. that right. was so so funny and oh, then yeah. uh, and then jim henson he pretty much expanded and then when he moved into film uh, different types of films we had uh the dark crystal yeah we had uh labyrinth and mm-hmm. th- those two very different films that jim henson did now yeah. i will say dark crystal doesn't really hold up for me however labyrinth is probably one of my favorite movies of all time and yeah. even like my kids love it i revisit it every once in a while i watch it i love it every time i see it yeah and you don't realize how many people were actually involved in that film it's jim henson david bowie you also have it uh also produced by george lucas and uh you also have i think michael one of the oh gosh one of the monty python guys helped write it yeah it was one of the writers it was not michael palin it's uh Terry Jones, I think. Oh, wow. And so you've got like all these funny, like real British humor type jokes in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Because when you remember the movie, you're like, that's that's pretty funny. And you realize, oh, it was one of the Monty Python guys up write the script. Yeah. And then, you know, Jennifer Connelly was the uh, Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So I I think this one, it's interesting also to see like uh, even the stuff that doesn't hold up, like, you know, David Bowie and Two Tight Pants singing the song with like the goblins and stuff. You you appreciate it on a different level. Yeah. You're like, you know what? I'm still enjoying this. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I uh that that movie is like the biggest touchstone of my life, probably. Like uh Labyrinth Labyrinth and uh and Never Ending Story were definitely like yes. the two movies that like kind of created a lot of the weird crap that rolls around inside my brain that like I will try to replicate for the rest of my life, Uh you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But definitely with Labyrinth, um, I liked Bowie in that movie. Like that was my first, that was my first introduction to him because I was very Mm -hmm. young. But, uh, as far as the puppet, like the puppets and the creatures, and, and he didn't walk through it either. Like, no, you know, David Bowie, he wanted you could tell he wanted to be there and do yeah. this movie. This is you know Ziggy Stardust. He wanted to be in this kids movie. Well, well yeah. that, that was the the cool thing about it was, and I think why it's why Bowie was like perfectly cast in the sense that so he Bowie was the first guy to like play a rock and roll character. Like Ziggy Stardust was so inventive yeah. that he just decided, I'm going to create this rock intergalactic superstar, rock right. star, and so and 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 do this theatrical rock show, like the rock yeah. opera is so genius. So then to cast him in this, because it, it, you weren't just casting, all right, let's get Mick Jagger to put on a crazy wig. Right. And that would have right. been like, Okay. That's Mick Jagger in a crazy way. Yeah, it's, this this is like no David Bowie was so I saw his uh, I, I spoke about it on the show last year, but I saw the David Bowie exhibit when I was in Melbourne last year, and it just it goes into the collaborations that Bowie had and how where he got his ideas. So honestly, while on paper from a distance it might seem well, this is weird. It actually makes perfect sense that Bowie would be like, yeah, Jim Henson. I'm in. Right? Yeah. I want to work with you, yeah, and let's make yeah. it. Let's make it crazy. Let's do this yep. because th- they were so. Um, 
you know, they talk in, in the exhibit at the, Bowie was always talking about sort of lining up with all of these sort of kindred spirits yeah. who were so different and out there and wanted to push boundaries uh, artistically and socially and culturally. So it's why. It was a perfect collaboration with Jim Henson. No, it really, really is. Um, and it's a deeper film than I think sometimes it gets credit for. Just a, yeah. a lot of the themes and the uh, um, just the motivations are really interesting. Like, well, you know, like... Like she know, gets tempted with like all her toys. I mean, are you... When exactly are you coming of age? Like what? what's important to you? These dolls or your brother? And right. All these, all these interesting things. Like what are you holding on to? And that's also, it's a broken home. It's a... It's, mm-hmm. you know, she hates her stepmother and, uh, you know, she feels unappreciated. It's all the angst of growing up and it all manifests in this fantasy world. And it's it's great. And it's got these really funny uh, moments, like especially at the beginning when her brother's crying, she doesn't want to take care of him. And right. she's like, oh, gosh, you know, so someday I will ask the goblins to come take you away. And then it cuts to the goblins and like, yeah, did she say the words? Did she say the words? And then she keeps getting the words wrong, and the goblins are like, oh, that's not the words. It doesn't even start with I wish. What is wrong with you? How hard is it? Just I wish the goblins would come and take my brother away. That's not hard. Just say it. Yeah. So. Genius. You know, um, Brian uh, Brian Hansen told me that one of his favorite moments about making that movie, and this was like, just it resonated so damn hard with me, was uh the you know all the scene with all the hands where the hands make all the faces yes. uh-huh that the helping hands the way that that came about was that his father jim turned to him at home and said hey um I have an idea. Uh, come with me and uh, stand with me in the mirror for a second. And then he would make circles and then his, uh, and then Brian would make hands or he would make the circles and, and Jim Henson would make the hands and put the hands under his son's hands. And they'd be like, he'd like, okay, this could be a face. Okay, let's try it. Let's figure out together what another face would be. And so they, as father and son in the mirror created like faces with four faces pairs of with, hands with, with, with yeah two with pairs two of pairs hands. of hands mm-hmm. which he said was like probably one of the more impactful moments of making that movie together because then because you know like i remember seeing that and it being so dynamic and so interesting and then and then to know that it was just like the two of them trying trying to come up with this thing and what i always liked about you know what I always liked about it was like that they had enormous, gigantic, huge, uh, puppeted you know creatures, right. yeah, and mm-hmm. teeny tiny little miniaturized ones, right. and that it was it really made a, a serious leap from it being uh you know having the creature shop involved in something like this where it's no longer just you know Muppets they're they're this like kind of realistic uh you know strange mm-hmm. you know. Know, like uh, monsters with eyelashes, you know, and right. they have yeah. like mm-hmm. they have you know pock marks and you mm-hmm. know and missing teeth and stuff and that and um and and still being funny and still you know being creative and like I mean the guy who rides the dog, you know, the right. character that right. rides the dog, mm-hmm. like that's like that's comedy gold and it's it looks incredible. Like it, you watch it today, it looks absolutely flawless. And you've also got a young Jennifer Connelly who was. You know, I, I think she's a really cool, interesting actress. I wish she would do more, yeah. um, just work wise. I don't know, maybe she's sick of show business or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. like, so she's very young in this and plays the wide eyed, but not in the. I think it shows why I'm she's spoiled, and she also shows her a little spoiled yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And it's also 
when someone has a long career, right, and you see their first movie where she's just the, the cute teenage girl. Now that could have she could have had two of these movies, and we'd never hear from her again. Right, sure, you know, but she's a really solid actress who always always has some sort of uh, like depth and humanity in her eyes and the way she plays these characters, even in something like this, which probably on paper was like. Spoiled teenage girl caught in a in a fantasy land, and she yeah. brought a lot of um, realism to it because it is talking about all those things, Chris. Of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's time to grow up, and 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 how you're going to deal with that, yeah, and wh- also the new the new family model in the '80s of the step parent, right? Which wasn't that yeah. new, or that, or it wasn't that familiar because it was a new thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean. I, like I've watched, uh, I've watched over the years how like my relationship with my younger sister has been, and like how how much that movie kind of affects things like that, where you're like, oh, you know, like this person's important to me, and I love my sister, like she's you know like one of my, she's like my best friend, you know, I I I adore her dearly, mm-hmm. but there are parts of your life, you know, during different parts of your life where you wish your the goblins f- would take her away. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, like, where you, where you get, where, you know, you're growing up and you're like, Oh, why is my little kid sister have to be around? And then there's other times you're like, I wish that she was here all the time. Right, like yeah, yeah. it's, it's a tricky, <laughs> it's a tricky thing with brothers and sisters. And we really didn't, we really haven't seen a lot of that kind of stuff or a storyline based around that. Uh, you know, is is not something I, I don't, I, I can't remember the last time. I saw something like that. That was that impactful. Right. Well, let's let's get into the other one we were just talking about, Never Ending Story, which came out in 1984. Amazing. And done that, without Jim Henson, actually. This is Wolfgang Peterson. Now, that's what also makes both of these movies amazing, is because neither one talks down to children. Right. These are stories that are told um, for an audience that understands, or excuse me, they're told by filmmakers who understand that you shouldn't talk down to children. Yeah. These are real stories and there's real danger, there's real threat and we're not going to sugarcoat any mm-hmm. of it. The, 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 and I mean, the only thing you really need to know to exp- to answer, hey, why did they make that choice is Wolfgang Peterson's, the film he did prior to this one was Das Boot. Yeah, exactly. About a bunch <laughs> of German guys in a U-boat just and right. how he, if you know the story of Das Boot, he shot those guys, kept them there, got them all cagey and unshaven and, you know, nuts. He made the actors in that environment. And he, you know, he went a little, there's a, there's a documentary kind of, uh, I think about. What? Really? About the making of Das Boot. Where, oh my God. Where you see how kind of nuts he went. Yeah. Um, Wolfgang Peterson's not going to fuck around. And, yeah. uh, and this is a story because it's based on a German book and uh-huh. it's something that he always wanted to do and you know you look back to you're like well there's no one else that could have done what he did this was he was the perfect choice for this for this if movie. you haven't seen it you should go on youtube and you should look up um uh never-ending story television interview mm-hmm. uh or talk show interview it is uh the most insane thing you you'll ever watch it's the the main kid who played bastion mm-hmm. right um, it's him Barrett and Oliver, right? And the girl who played the princess, the um, the the what's the character's name? The is it uh, the childlike? Yes, Empress? the childlike mm-hmm. Empress. Okay, so yeah. those two characters had to sit on the snail, 
Okay, you remember the snail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That Deep Roy uh, drove in the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, amazing Deep Roy from all the Star Wars. Uh, I mean, it was Star Wars movies and, uh, you know, of course, Star Trek movies mm-hmm. right. recently. And um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I guess mm-hmm. the remake, right? Yep. Charlie and Chocolate Factory. He was every Oompa Loompa. Every Oompa Loompa. Mm-hmm. So he was the guy who rode the snail in the movie, mm-hmm. right? So they took the snail and they took Childlike Empress and Bastion and they rode them out on a snail on a talk show in Germany in German. Wow. <laughs> now, these two kids do not speak German. So the the guy's like, uh, I'm not, I do not speak German. But he was like, Wahnsinn, Gold, Wahnsinn, Wahnsinn, Gätzen, Hochzeit is a never ending story. Wahnsinn, Gold, to was Ifan making the movie? And then, and then the, the, like, Bastion would be like, I, I had a very good time. And he'd go, Yes, have you a good time? I can point six points, And they'd be like, Yay! And I'll applaud. And then he'd be like, What's in kind of childlike impress? What can one guy? And then, the, you know, the, the girl would be like, It was fun. It was, it, they look terrified. It's so, it's, it's so freaking funny. You gotta check it out. Oh, God. It just made me so happy when I watched it. I, I'll tell you, the, the themes in this movie, too, were, were amazing when you look at like uh, basically everything's being destroyed by the nothing yeah and the nothing is you know Fantasia is basically man's dreams and if the nothing's destroying it man's dreams are disappearing and towards the end spoiler alert um the Atreyu, the the warrior, has a very existential discussion with a giant wolf that's about to eat him, mm-hmm. and says, "You know, who are you, and who are you really?" And you know, he says he's the agent behind the nothing, and they realize that men without dreams are easier to control. So mm-hmm. it gets into all these really dark <sighs> places. <laughs> I, you know, I saw that when I was like whatever thirteen or fourteen years old, and I remember being the nothing just terrified me. Absolutely. Because I would, and I still do this sometimes, I remember I would lie in bed, usually early in the morning or something like that, right after, like in in that sort of pre-dawn, sort of awake, sort of not, and I would think about Riding a giant snail. Exactly. (laughs) Right. No, but I would think about death and what happens when you die and the size of the universe. (laughs) I remember just being like, oh my God, and that movie, The Nothing, just like engulfed me, and I was like, it was terrifying mm-hmm. yeah. and a giant wolf. Yeah. Like it was just like, and I wasn't, and I was wasn't a like, terri- and it was I was a terrifying puppet. It's a te- and yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't like six, you know, right. I was like mm-hmm. becoming a young man and was still like, holy shit. Like it was so intense and, and made you think. Uh, and of course, of course, you know, my dad took me to this movie. Um, uh, and, it was such like holy shit because I remember you see the trailer or the poster and it's like a guy in a giant flying dog like da, yay da, 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 luck dragon da, 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 yeah da, da, we're gonna explore fun things and it's like right. no there's a there's a giant darkness that's gonna yeah. swallow you up <laughs> yeah yeah have fun yeah, like, you know? and when, when and your mother's already dead when the uh, starts <laughs> yes. and you're depressed about it. And you're an outcast at school, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's how we start. Like as their world starts to collapse, it, I remember it being very, very scary to watch. That the like the castle was like 
collapsing Crum- crumbling, and yeah. there was like a guy with a giant giant enormous face and i remember that being really scary that like something horrible was going to happen to that guy i thought it was like the the thing that that movie really made me do and it's uh, it's become a kind of a driving force in my creativity is that like i feel like i have to fight every day for my creative brain and whatever that means like like every day i have to do something for it so uh, to like fight off the nothing so that means like sometimes i have to paint or i have to like mm. i have to draw shit um uh, I have to like go. I have to reconnect with something from my childhood. Like go to a, like some antique shop and go buy like a little Star Wars toy or some weird thing, mm-hmm. and like continue feeding the or go out with my friends that are like super funny and creative people right. and and be funny with them and write and and you know try to come up with new ideas and new things and like that's the only way to fight against. The nothing. I always kind of felt like that was like the thing for me. It was that, like, how do you get rid of it? That's a great. How do you beat it? That's a. That's really cool. That's a really, that's a really great, great way to look at it. Yeah, I, I've I've felt uh, similarly. I haven't equated it to this movie, mm-hmm. but I have had that like, you know getting swallowed up by the business end of show business, I guess. And the, the, we got to make money and do we have enough people following and letting, downloading and listening to us? And right. And how many shirts did we sell this week? How many shirts is sponsors? <laughs> and I got to yeah. get more road gigs and the bills right. are coming. And, and then two kids need college money. Exactly. All that shit. Like <laughs> sure. my accountant's like, you need to put more money in your IRA. And I'm like, Oh, you know, and I don't have any money to put in my IRA. You know? Yeah. And, and then going, I mean, Chris and I have even had these discussions about just the running of comedy film nerds. Again, it's two guys in a garage and a part-time employee and some interns. But still, we've had discussions where we were like, I don't feel like I'm being creative. I feel like I'm a guy running a fucking business. Like I'm not, And I'm not – it's all spreadsheets and budgets and even with the podcast festival – and you forget, like that's a lot of logistics. So it's so much logistics <laughs> and budget, and you forget we got to be creative. We, yeah, we got to get, or we're gonna get swallowed up by the nothing of just adult yeah. life. You yeah. gotta, you, you know gotta spend I mean? the time. Like, yeah, which means going to. And to me, creative means kid. It means when I was a kid, and we we had this basement. And my parents gave put all like old furniture in the basement. And we're just like, anytime we, my brother would be wrestling or fight, downstairs, you can't break anything downstairs. Right. And setting up forts and creating. Did you prove them wrong? <sighs> no, we never. Only each other. Yeah. We only just smacked each other around. I um, love it. But like, I remember that like, let's make a fort. And you blankets and things and you would create this whole world and like well that's the lava and that's yeah. the thing and, yeah, and then you lose true. sight of that yeah well, it's yeah, very and, hard and to... you don't have to be like a broody professional artist like us you, <laughs> no. just, you can you know you could have a regular job and then you know you come home you play the piano for 30 minutes yeah. or you draw or you do you know we all have that creative spark in us and it's mm-hmm. you know it's different for every person <laughs> you just feed it sometimes <laughs> I went <laughs> I went on my uh, on my birthday people were like are you on drugs uh, and I was like no uh, but I went to <laughs> I took my girlfriend and we went to color me mine you know this place where you no. like they like it's like like a paint like a paint shop where they give you like you buy like a little um 
you know, thing like a dish or a, pl- a plate or something, and then you paint it. Oh, right, right. You know, yeah. It's like for children, all right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's not, not for grownups. And I went there and I bought a dog bowl that was like a huge, big, heavy, giant mm. dog bowl. And then I, I painted it in skin tones to make it look like uh, the, uh, the Sarlacc pit from Star Wars. (laughs) And it's, and it has teeth in it. It's really scary looking. It's covered in like moles and stuff. It's real, totally fucking creepy. And I absolutely love it. And it sits, it's like, it's beautiful. And it cost me like, maybe like 40 bucks or something like this to do it. But it's like (laughs) doing, doing like, and you know what was the best part? Sitting across from me, making a, um, a mug. He was, he was painting a mug of like, chipped and creepy teeth with like holes in the teeth was it tim burton it was wet it was west bentley from really um, yeah from american horror story and american beauty was sitting across from me his son was there and his son was like drawing and making some you know thing and his wife was doing something and my girlfriend was making like a cute plate you know of like fashiony sure. things but like him and me kind of kept making eye contact and being like yeah <laughs> getting creepy very nice very nice and it's like you know like little things like that i also find like you know uh reading too helps mm-hmm. too like you know getting into stories and and uh something so cool i got your comedy film nerds book last time i was here mm-hmm. read it cover to cover dude oh, wow. it is you. phenomenal <laughs> thank you and what was so neat is is that what was great is is there's so many great comics and so many great interesting people in there but like jackie cation and mm-hmm. doug benson all these great people and you guys you know your chapter's so cool but as i'm going through it it kept reminding me of other films or other movies like either uh. I haven't seen in a long time or I missed somehow. And I was like, I got to go back and watch that. Oh my God. Completely. That's what we always hoped the book would be sort of a lightning rod for like a stepping off point for somebody else's, you know, film uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) obsessions. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always liked in, uh, also in, uh, never ending story to just to continue with the never ending story for a, a few minutes that, that there's a couple moments that always stand out to me. Um, Anytime you have a fantasy movie, if you can ground it in reality at the beginning of the movie, like that's the only way that any of that stuff ever works. Like, right. like grounding it solid, gr- solid grounding it, like especially with a kid, like mm-hmm. making it where it's like, oh, yeah, there's a bookstore and uh, kids getting chased at school and, and, mm-hmm. and his dad's like giving him giving him shit for not right. doing well in school. And, you know, your mom's it was a mom had passed yes. away. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like it was real heavy and they yeah. took the time to develop it and it's really well shot and you feel like you feel for these people. You feel like you're trapped in a submarine. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But that's how Wolfgang Peterson shoots. And He's that's a that, damn good director. Yeah. That's how he wanted to make you feel in this movie. Wow, that is so damn cool. And then once he's, you know, when he meets the Luck Dragon, the Luck Dragon, mm-hmm. of course, like one of the greatest yes. things in film history. And it instantly, uh, the interesting thing too is it instantly brightens the film. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's when the Luck Dragon appears, all of a sudden, like, you know, it's very symbolic of, yeah, things can turn around. Right. You know, it's not always going to be bad luck and bad things happen to you in your life all the time. They're- yeah. Because you got a lot of like, heavy stuff in there too i yeah. mean like and we all want to ride a luck dragon and chase bullies into a dumpster you of course better we do. believe absolutely and the fact that they like let us have that payoff right you know, <laughs> you know they like let things like that happen and they're you know 
and it ends great. Like it's mm-hmm. got it's good good storylines, and mm-hmm. I just like the whole thing. Now th- this is how also a great adaptation can be made. Um, Wolfgang Peterson. Uh, not a lot of people know this. Um, that's only the first half of the book that he adapted. What? That's only the first half, but he wrapped it up and tied it up into such an amazingly neat movie. You'd never know that there was a second half. Wow. Uh, that's how uh, amazing of an adaptation he wa- it was. Now, the second half is explored very poorly uh, in the sequel. There's actually a never-ending story, too, which is oh, yeah. ironic in its title. Uh, yes, <laughs> but, and of course, and never-ending story three with Jack Black. Is that, did that exist? That that is a real thing. You wanna, really? You want to double check me on that? <laughs> I didn't Never even know that. I didn't even know that one existed with Jack Black. I'm almost positive that that um, exists. So what? What the uh, Neverending Story two? It took the second half of the uh, the book, although very poorly. Like I said, a- adapted it, and it, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, Jack Black is in Neverending Story three, which came out in 1994. That's wow. what I'm talking about. Glickman so bringing the heat. I didn't even know that one existed. <laughs> So, so basically, you, you can really stop at one is if, yeah. if you're watching movies. Absolutely. <laughs> but now I kind of want to see this one now, even though, what does it have on IMDb? 3.1? Yeah, 3.1 stars. Yeah, it's a wow. bad movie. That's yeah, a bad it's, movie. It looks bad. Yeah, he knows it's bad, too. Jack knows it's bad. Yeah. He's, I'm he's, sure. There's, it doesn't look good. Well, what, um, other, what other... There's another movie that, um, like, is literally, I'm like literally obsessed with i've seen it a ridiculous amount of times um and it is not a popular film uh but i've got some good stories about it uh is a movie called return to oz did you ever see return to oz oh yeah it's uh it came out it has um Farusa, Farusa, Balk and it's craft. very very dark it's yes. an incredibly dark movie. It came and out in 1985. And it was based on an L. Frank Baum novel. Yeah, yep. so it was the original author. But it was also, a, wasn't it a Disney movie too? Yeah, so there's a lot of weird stuff that happened with this film. And I don't want to like, um, I'm, I'm going to gloss over some facts just because I'm, I'm just doing most of this from memory right yeah. now. But uh, the, the situation happened uh, basically... Jim Henson was going to work on this mm-hmm. on on this project, but then oh no no no, him and 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 um, Brian Henson were working together on I believe on Labyrinth, and and then Brian got the offer to go off and work on uh, Return to Oz. Okay, so to be the head of uh, the puppet, like you right. know, the the director of puppetry or whatever on Return to Oz. So he went off on his own to go work on that. Um, Disney greenlights the movie. They start making the movie. Walter Murch uh, has been hired to direct it. Walter Murch, by the way, sound is a sound guy, this music guy. Do you want to look that up for yeah, a second? Or is he an Murch, editor? Walter Murch directs it, and he is an, a sound editor. Sound editor, he mostly. On, yeah. American Graffiti, The Godfather 2. So, yeah. Was this his first This, this was his first time di- directing. I From believe. being a sound editor. Yeah, I think it was like his big jump into directing. Right. Um, they start working on the movie. Movie is, uh, uh, they're going well. It's shooting. Uh, it's doing doing well. Um, they start sending dailies back to Disney. Disney loses their fucking minds. <laughs> Sorry for the language. <laughs> they, oh, that's fine. They lose, their, they lose their fucking minds and they're like, shut it down. Shut it down! It's stop. We're stopping it. This is this is not at all what we said. We we it's way too dark. It's super super weird. Not interested. Shut it down. So they pull. They try to shut the movie down. Um, Brian Henson 
and Walter Murch makes some phone calls. And I believe, and I'm just saying this out of memory, but this is, this is at what I know from hearing the story from uh, the Henson folks is uh, George Lucas, uh, I believe Oliver Stone, Martin Scorsese and uh, Spielberg. At least three out of four of those people fly out. They were either on the side on that side of the world or wherever they were shooting. They were somewhere out there making their own movies. They flew out, took time away from their production to come and sit on the set and like protest the movie being shut down. Wow. And they were like, we will fund this and fuck you, Disney, basically. Like, we'll do we're gonna make this if you're if you don't and you we're not gonna leave until we're not gonna we'll keep paying for the sound stages until you guys <laughs> decide to to keep doing it and disney was like you know these guys are taking time off of other projects that we're invested in that we're related to and so they were like fine 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 keep making your your damn movie all right no, like without letting like so everyone left and they got to continue making their movie but all these other filmmakers Lucas and all these guys came out and like stood up for the movie that's awesome wow. they were like Walter Murch is our dude like he right. did American Graffiti yeah. you know he's a big I think he worked on some of the Star Wars oh, stuff yeah. he, like he had a big Rolodex yeah he's a big <laughs> he had a big Rolodex and they knew like this was an important movie it was going to be very very important to like rebranding Wizard of Oz and mm-hmm. taking it back to the originals and then they were going to do all all sorts of other cool stuff the patchwork girl of Oz and they were right. going to do mm-hmm. all these you know um, you know stuff right so and meanwhile uh, Brian Henson is on set building like TikTok and building Jack the Pumpkinhead and he is Jack the Pumpkinhead he does all the puppetry and I believe the like the voice of it and stuff as well mm-hmm. so they're doing all this stuff movie finishes disney goes oh thank you so much for the movie uh we're not promoting this at all enjoy this movie right. going in the dumpster mm-hmm. basically yeah. and they released it with almost no previews no nothing it was in the theater for a very short amount of time and then it was gone right and which is super sad that like it went down that way but it is a fascinating, strange movie. Uh, a lot very of creepiness, v- really it. creepy, really weird. Uh, some scary stuff in there. The I, the wheelies, the wheelers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or those the guys. Um, by the way, um, super strange little fact. But uh, the guy who played the main wheeler in in <laughs> Return to Oz was also in the movie Masters of the Universe. The He-Man. With Dolph Lundgren. With Dolph Lundgren. He played like one of those bad guys in that movie. And when we, I, I got to meet him recently and I was like so excited to talk about, <laughs> about Return to Oz. And he was like, what do you, what's your problem? <laughs> he was like so weird. And then like, I was like, all right, we don't have to talk about that. Let's talk about Masters of the Universe. And he was like, seriously, what's your problem? <laughs> Why are you talking to me about these horrendous movies? Um, but I, I always loved, I always loved Return to Oz because I always liked, you know, it's like, worth I a loved, look. I loved it's the definitely books. Definitely worth a look. And then getting a chance to like see it, you know, actualized in this really strange, uh, you know, creepy. It, it's worth way. it just to see like the, a movie that Disney didn't want to make and buried. Yeah, it's like watching the Black Cauldron. Yeah, right? it really that is kinda, that kind of feeling. It really, really mm-hmm. is. That's, you're totally, you're totally right on the money mm-hmm. with that. Yep. So what? Uh, what other '80s uh, or '90s? We can do '90s um, fantasy movies now. If you remember, Krull. 
Yes. Oh God. That was like a that I think almost bankrupt a studio. It was like this giant big budget fantasy slash science fiction movie that tanked and bombed horribly. And Peter Yates directed it. Yates came out in uh, 1983. Mm -hmm. Um, It had a 27 million dollar budget, which that's a lot of money back Back then. then, Wow. Yeah. That's a huge budget for a movie like that. And yeah, it did very very poorly. Did all the Uh, money go into building that weapon? Because that the glaive. Yeah, the glaive. The glaive was pretty amazing. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I love that you know what it's called. (laughs) I love that. That's amazing. (laughs) Chris, do you have a glaive? Yeah, I I have no comment. Uh, <laughs> you totally do. Do you have one? Yeah. That's amazing. You can have Chris's glaive when you pry it from his cold, dead hand is when you can get it. Oh, my God. I love it. Um, so this movie, um, it was such a big-budget, effects-driven film that it, it was a classic studio mistake where so much was spent on everything from practical to... Uh, actually, it was probably all practical. If there were some digital effects, they were um, very... Oh, kind of, yeah. kind of like pre, you know. No, no, no. this was pre- a very practical movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They shot it at Pinewood, mm-hmm. at Pinewood Studios. They had they used ten sound stages to oh, make this wow. thing. Ten sound stages to make crawl. Right, like because you look at two <laughs> like insane. like this is where um th- this is where um digital effects were just starting to be used. Like if you look oh. at the old Labyrinth, yeah. Um, the owl at the beginning is digital. And I and it looks so fake now, but at the time, yeah. people were saying, "Is that a real owl?" We we know we can't tell. We can't tell if that <laughs> yeah, owl's yeah. real. And it's uh, so you know the the 80s were where it was just starting to be experimented with God. with uh, with digital effects. Twenty three movie sets were constructed for that wow. movie. And, wow. and, and one of my favorite parts many. of this movie, uh, Liam Neeson is in it. Wow! That, yeah, you gotta check out Liam that. Neeson in this movie. You have a glaive, and they're going to take it. <laughs> uh, my glaive is a specific set of skills. <laughs> That's the best it ever. Was, it was one of those movies that, that was definitely like the... It felt at the time like a... Hey, Star Wars made money. Right, it's like, exactly, let's get it's this exactly right. Let's yeah, do yeah. our Star Wars. Yeah, let's yep. do this. Uh-huh. Yeah, completely. Because it, it, tra- it also mixed like... Uh, well, that... The castle is still kind of a spaceship, and it would like try to miss. And like the bad guys had like laser swords, <laughs> like they would shoot yeah. one laser beam, then turn it around, and then it was a sword. So they they mixed like all these sci fi and fantasy things together, uh, and it was just a really um, interesting mess. Well, you know, like in Masters of the Universe, not to jump from Crawl to mm-hmm. Masters of the Universe, but that's also eighties fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Masters of the Universe, they um, they wanted to do stormtroopers. Just like Star Wars, right. they, they created a bunch of like kind of crappy stormtroopers to put in the movie. And the Mat- Mattel, right? That owned mm-hmm. was it Mattel that owned them? Or I believe so. so or Hasbro, one of Hasbro, those. Hasbro, one <laughs> of these guys said, uh, "Hey, hey, hey! Nobody dies in this movie. Nobody dies. All right, we're not killing anybody. There's no blood. Okay, we're not we're not doing <laughs> right. anything like that. In Masters of the Universe, <laughs> absolutely not. None at all. And then they watched the first cut, and they were like. Oh, God, can you kill some people, please? (laughs) Please, do anything. Kill people. The movie's horrible. Let's at least make it, like, blow up some people. And so then they started blowing up and shooting 
uh, uh, guys that were dressed as stormtroopers, and these guys were falling off stuff in these costumes that were not built for um for to to stunts break away for stunts. Like right. So guys were getting like their leg cut open and oh. and getting like jabbed in the side. Hor- I mean, horrible, oh, horrible stuff. Well, the, I think there was there was a little. Uh, well, they got their wish then. Yeah, they really yeah. did. Well, there was <laughs> these, these couple movies like, so Crawl, uh, Columbia Pictures put that out. It, it lost a lot of money. Then there was also this giant flop, which was in the same vein of Enemy Mine with Louis Gostia Jr. And, oh, yeah. and Dennis Quaid. That had a $40 million budget that, and made- oh, I didn't realize how high that budget was. Oh, yeah. And it made $5 million. Ooh. So this is early 80s, so- you don't really have VHS or DVD or cable or anything like that. You have box office. And so now you have. Oh, yeah. And this movie, I remember seeing Crawl. That was so, yeah. And Enemy Mine. Enemy Mine came out in 85. That was a cool movie. Enemy Mine was 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 what they were trying to do. Is Louis Gossett Jr. played this alien and him and Dennis Quaid were battling each other. And then they were both crashed on this planet and they have to try to survive together right. on this planet. And it's definitely like they become friends at the end. Mm, and, yeah. And it's sort of a. They were trying to like, hey, let's have a movie about peace and race issues and all this stuff. But it's it's it, you know, it barely works. It, it barely barely holds up. works. <laughs> Moose Jr. has all this prosthetics and he's got some like, like some bad Klingon-y type dialect that he's trying to speak in. What about like is that last and last Wolfgang st- Peterson? Directed this. Wow. So I think they were like, okay, Wolfgang's here. This is going to be awesome because Neverending Story did well. Sure, and sure. And this is in the middle of, of Star Wars. So so uh, Empire had come out. I think even Jedi had come out by this point. And then... This is right around the same time as Last Starfighter, too. Which I love. Yes. That is a great mm-hmm. movie. That is a super... Yeah, I mean, Robert Preston, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, The Music Man. The Music Man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's in there. Um, you know, you know, it was one of my favorite favorites as a kid, and uh, I, I don't, I, I think this this qualifies is uh, Flight of the Navigator. Oh, now that's oh, nineteen eighty six. That yeah. is, uh, that is uh, fantasy yeah. sci fi. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a little more more sci fi sci fi than fantasy, but it was. I mean, that was crazy. That's. I don't That's know this film that well. Really, what, Flight what? of the Navigator. Yeah. So, Flight of the Navigator is a movie where a boy, um, uh, a, a boy finds an alien ship, and then okay, so here's okay. Let me let me roll. I'm gonna roll through it because it is a little bit confusing, but it is a very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting story. So, okay. 19, a 12 year old boy goes missing in 1978, only to reappear. In 1986. <gasps> what? How does that happen? In the eight years that have passed, he hasn't aged at all. Ooh. It's no coincidence that when he comes back, he also, a giant flying saucer is found and has been entangled in power lines. Okay? <laughs> what? <laughs> of course, because the power lines take down alien spacecrafts, right? So uh, he, this kid finds his way back to the ship. Okay, because they're like, oh, you're somehow associated with this alien ship. He gets in the ship, and the ship is, there's an alien, a robot in the ship, voiced by Paul Rubens. 
by Pee Wee Herman. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. So then he flies around in this super cool, like silvery ship that can transform uh, its its shape and get like super thin and spiky or like it can be all fat and crazy looking. And he flies around in the ship and he has adventures and uh, it's super super neat. And I always thought that it was cool because uh, they collected a bunch of alien life from other planets that are on this ship as well and so he gets to like play with a bunch of little like <laughs> I just thought it was like a neat yeah. it was a kind of a neat movie yeah. and real weird just real right. weird well I, I'll tell you one of the things too about these 80s and 90s um, fantasy movies uh, and then we talked about some sci-fi ones too is that they could never get the adult ones right. Like, if you remember movies like Hawk the Slayer, yeah. like, uh, it, they were like, like Jack Palance was in that movie, mm-hmm. Hawk the Slayer, and they, were, they just could never, never quite get, because the effects never looked right. They could never, only the kids' ones were done really well. Yeah. And it was like years and years and years until we finally got like Lord of the Rings, where, oh, that's how fantasy is done properly yes. for the big screen. For it's, that's a hundred percent true because they really like like all my favorite sci-fi fantasy eighties movies. They're all like all the good ones, like the really good ones, are like starring little kids right. or young people who right. are like you know being brought into some sort of you know parallel universe or right. some sort of you know terrifying goblin world, mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know. Anytime they would try to do that during that period with an older person, it'd get, right. like, it'd get weird. It yep. wouldn't be very good. I'll tell you, the ones that um, succeeded more were the lighter ones, like Princess Bride. Yeah. You, know, you have a fantasy, but you have, because you're kind of having a nod to the genre and right. it's more of a romance. And then the other one was uh, Lady Hawk. And that was not a great movie, but uh, still, it got some stuff a little bit, it got us closer to an actual fantasy movie. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, before we wrap it up, what, mm. what, let me ask you guys these 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 questions. So, of that era, a which which movie do you think stands out the best, and B, there's one and a B. Um, <laughs> is, <laughs> Sometimes I want a B too. Yeah, I know. I get you. Um, and thirdly, um, is uh, part two. How do I look today? <laughs> Pretty good. Do you what movies coming out recently? sort of still have that like can't what am i trying to say can you make an 80s era fantasy film today or does that make sense like oh, like i've tried man i have tried <laughs> i pitched question. i pitched uh two movies out in the world both of them have been <laughs> have been uh gigantic nose um, <laughs> uh, like gi- like to the point like i went into paramount and i pitched to paramount two movies one of them was uh about brendan fraser um, I'm sorry, I don't want to overtake this you know, to tell you guys this, but very quickly, it was a movie uh, where uh, a movie studio gets Brendan Fraser to star on a television show as a series regular through like some sort of deal, and he normally doesn't do television uh, because um, he 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 only does like a movie every few years, and the reason he only does a movie every few years is because he eats people. 
because he's a monster. <laughs> he is a absolute, like he transforms into a monster and he fucking eats people, right? And so the re- so putting him on a series, like the only way he would do it is if he ate, got to eat like the extras now and then on the show. So it was kind of like Little Shop of Horrors, but set in, in Hollywood with Brendan Fraser well, as the star. We need to make this movie. So yes. yeah, I pitched that at Paramount and they were like you're out of your fucking mind yeah. okay there's no way that movie's getting made we're not, not validating happening. your parking yeah, yeah, yeah. please get, get out of here how did you get in here <laughs> yes how did that happen and the other movie I pitched to them was a movie called Fabio Farm uh, which is a movie I'm in in which that's, that's all I need to know yeah, yeah. you have me Fabio <laughs> Farm that's it <laughs> Two guys discover that Fabio um, lives on a farm up north in northern uh, northern California, mm-hmm. and that on the farm it's not only him, but it's him and um, all of his twin brothers. And there, it's uh, he has twelve uh, twelve twin brothers. So there's twelve. <laughs> Fabios that all live together on a farm and that's why he was able to work so much during the 80s is because because he did like 700 book right. covers in the 80s and they like and 800 butter commercial right. yeah exactly so it was like how was he able to get all that work done in this very small period of time it's because there are 12 of him so that was the idea and that they're all kind of different some have beards and whatever right. I pitched that also at Paramount and they were like how did you get into this building? Yeah. Please leave. I'm but surprised they didn't just like taser you on the spot. They like, might have. <laughs> they should have. If anyone out there wants to make those movies, I, I can make them real cheap. Real cheap. I say we raise the money and do these. I'm yeah, on board seriously. with Fabio Put it on Farm. Kickstarter, Let's Fabio Farm. Well, we can raise that money. Come Easy. on. I, I want to start with Brandon Fraser eating people because yes. I think we could get him attached pretty easily. <laughs> I, think I think that would be so great. I think he's available. Yeah. I love, I love, well, yeah, he is probably. Um, it's a, I, like I don't think we see it as much. My favorite kind of '80s movie that is like super outrageous that has come out in the last few years was Troll Hunter. Did you see? Yeah, Troll yeah, Hunter? yes. That's uh-huh. a great movie. That's right. a super mm-hmm. cool movie. I feel like that would have been like a Wolfgang Peterson kind of okay. kind right. of thing, where like they make something that's absolutely insane, but it's grounded in some sort of realness. Right. Um, I don't know. You know, that's that's one of my. I like I like that movie a lot. Right. I, I'll tell you, from right. that era, it's still a tie between Labyrinth and Neverending Story. Those are still oh, two of my favorites. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then Troll Hunter is great too. I love Troll Hunter. Oh no, I only said yeah. Troll Hunter as in like a oh, no, movie currently that yeah that kind that's, of that's, looks. That like was that. part B. That was part B of the question. Yeah. Yes, of the, of the three part. Yeah, yeah. Yes, one and B um, question. I'm trying to think what other one. Any uh, legend. Uh, uh, oh my god! I forgot about Legend. Yeah, wow, with uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah. I could yeah. go and a Scientology demon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had Tim Curry and that gigantic, know. you know, oh headpiece. And, and, and by the way, one of the best practical effects for like fantasy we'd seen in a long time. Like this one had, um, this one looked like a fairy tale come to life. It just had a really dopey story, and right. <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. didn't. It worked great as a music video. Mm-hmm. I remember with Brian Eno and like Tangerine Dream. I remember the soundtrack. Oh, that yeah. was like it was all ethereal. It was amazing. Uh, but the movie itself, it's it's great eye candy to look sure. at. And uh, so I, I think the most recent ones for fantasy. I mean, it's obviously Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. But coming up in that kind of genre of like Labyrinth and uh, um, Never Ending Story. I guess the closest one now is the upcoming one, BFG, the uh, Spielberg one that's a, a Roald Dahl story. Yeah. So I, that's the one I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to. Uh, but I really think, too, 
Pixar kind of has hit kind of that sweet spot of like those movies where uh, you're going into these fantasy worlds and realms, but but adults and children can enjoy them mm-hmm. at the same mm-hmm. time. So I think it's definitely out there. It's just changed the way that it was from the 80s. And I'm, but I'm happy to see it's not like a genre that's like, oh, we can't do those movies anymore. Yeah. Like we're still getting them, which is good. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, I like it. I yeah. like it. This is a great thought. I want to go I back so and watch fun. Never yeah. Ending yeah. Story again. That's <laughs> that's my takeaway. Yeah, and now I want to see, uh, I forgot Return to Oz. Now I want to yeah, definitely you see go that. Yeah, that, that I've never yeah. seen that. Yeah. yeah, definitely for me, it's definitely Labyrinth and Return to Oz are two of my, and like Never Ending Story. I think those three, those are mm. my those are my faves. All I right. love, I love them and out. I love talking about them because they're fun. Well, um, thanks for doing the show. Thanks uh, for can, having me. Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? You can always get me on Twitter at Stephen Glickman, S-T-E-P-H-E-N Glickman, on Twitter Twitter and on Instagram and on YouTube, uh, all three channels have the same name. And um, the uh, the nighttime show uh, podcast is on iTunes. Nice. Is that okay for me to mention? Of course. That? Yes. All right. Um, we uh, uh, the episode with uh, Brandon Braga. I believe. Oh, yeah. Nice. We'll, uh, we'll be out by the time this airs. Nice. So uh, check that one out, as well as uh, we just uh, taped it with Keith David. Oh, which was, yeah. We did an hour and a half with Keith David, and let me tell you something, man. Like, that is a diverse career when you're like, sure. oh, you were on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Requiem for a Dream. Yes. Holy, yes. and your spawn. Yeah, what and your voice spawn. kind yeah, of yeah. career? <laughs> is, it's insane. The guy is mm-hmm. super gnarly. So... Um, yeah, so check out uh, the nighttime show pod, the nighttime show on um, on all podcasty things, and then uh, the live show, the nighttime show live is at the Hollywood Improv every month. You can just go to the website and you'll see it. It's the Saturday. It's one of the Saturday nights of the month, but cool. we're mm-hmm. always there. So. Uh, also check out uh, our Brazilian comedy tour. Yes, that's yes. coming up. We should talk <laughs> yes. about Dude, that. I'm, I'm yes. for real. And uh, and you know, make sure you uh, fill the place up. So Stevens. Ex girlfriend has to sit at the bar. Again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right, yeah. Uh, my tour dates are at uh, my Twitter handle at Graham Elwood, GrahamElwood.com. Of course, uh, at Comedy Film Nerds, at Chris J Mancini. Yes, and we're having more updates for the graphic novel coming up soon. It's uh, well underway and it's looking amazing. And more screening dates for earbuds. Um, we've already done some festival stuff, so check that out. And of course, tickets to LA Podfest are going very. Yes. Quickly. It will sell out this year. It's definitely going to sell out, so go to LAPodfest.com. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Stephen Kramer Glickman. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han, Han shot, shot first. first.